the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Sean Azaro, and you are listening to the Reaching for Real Life podcast. And welcome to the Reaching for Real Life podcast with Pastor Sean Azaro. I'm Baron Wiley. And a couple of weeks ago, we had San Antonio's favorite son, Sonny Melendrez, talking on this podcast about his mission in life and spreading kindness. And, and something that we really like that Sonny is known for, and that is doing things with enthusiasm. When you break it down, enthusiasm means to do it in theos, which means to have God in you. And he is in you through his spirit, which is a, a big part of Pastor Sean's latest book, A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, as seen at reachingforreallife.org. Well, one good turn deserves another. Sonny was on this podcast. Sonny Melinda asked Pastor Sean to be on his radio show and podcast, as heard at sunnyradio.com. And I'm pretty sure you're going to hear some things from Pastor Sean you never knew before. So on with the show, Pastor Sean Azaro on the Sonny Melendrez Show, and this is the Reaching for Real Life podcast. Well, my very special guest today is Sean Azaro. Sean is the pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio. He's a speaker, he's an author, but before that, he is actually a husband, a dad, a grandfather, although he doesn't look that old, and the author of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit filled life. Sean, great to have you here. And the first question I ask everyone has to do with your childhood. You grew up in the uh, suburbs of Chicago. What was it like for you? It was great. I, you know, what a lot of people, I mean, some people know, I guess, I grew up with a family of polo players. I grew up playing polo. My dad uh, was a restaurant owner and he got into polo. And so we just grew up doing that. I mean, we trained horses. It, you know, for me, I thought that was normal. I thought everybody did that, right? Sure, sure. Uh, my dad was a little bit crazy because he had my brother and I, who we were playing polo at a very young age, and there were no kid leagues, right? You weren't playing against other kids. You're playing with the grown men. Yeah. Club polo. So my brother, when he's literally five or six, is playing little chuckers after the game with grown men. I, by the time I'm eight years old, and playing with these men. So we grew up playing the game, and that because of that, that was going to be my that was going to be my profession. I was going to be a professional polo player before I really felt called into ministry and had to walk away from that. And how old were you when you uh, when you decided that that was not going to be your goal? Well, I was, I think, about 19. And my polo career was actually going very, very well. Uh, but, you know, um, it's one of those things where if you've ever felt like God was nudging you in something, and the way I describe it to people is like, externally, everything's going good in my life. Internally, it felt like I was swimming against a raging current, you know, and just not getting where I just didn't, I wasn't at peace. Yeah. And the minute I made that decision, which wasn't an easy decision, I loved the sport of polo. It was something I connected with my dad and my brother. And um, the minute I made that decision externally, things kind of got not so great, but internally I just knew it was like all, like all of a sudden I stopped fighting the current. I was going with the mm. river. To, mm. That's the best way I've been, been able to describe it to people. And isn't that true uh, about life when you stop fighting the current? Yeah. 
you you just everything is you're so at peace yeah. with yourself. Life seems to unfold, and all of a sudden you don't sweat the small stuff, yeah, or even the big stuff. I think that's hard for people to sometimes, you know, and again, depending on where you are in your belief with who God is, His role in our lives. Uh, I think that's hard for some people to grasp that that he really is there. There's a creator. He loves us. He created us. He has a plan for us. And that sometimes that that internal voice, even if he calls you to do something and it's against the grain, it's every other people around you might be looking and going, "You're crazy. You're giving up this polo. You're giving this is a you know you're around very influential people and you have so many opportunities and you're throwing it all out." You know, that's what my dad felt, Sonny. He didn't understand. He wasn't really, at that time, he wasn't a serious, you know, uh, Christ follower. And so for him, he thought, I'm, he thought I was crazy. He thought I'm throwing my life away. And you didn't find out who your dad was until later in life, right? Well, yeah, that's a, that's a, great, that's a great point. I'm talking about my dad who raised me, uh, who I grew up believing that that was my father. Um, when I was 28 years old, my mother... Uh, kind of. We were living in Southern California. She she lived in Texas. She flew out. I said, "I got to talk to you." Well, she had had cancer before, so I thought, "Oh God, the cancer's coming back." Oh no! Yeah. She flies out, and I I was working. Got home. My my wife had picked her up at the airport. They're both crying. So I thought, "Oh my gosh, my mother's cancer has come back." And she sits me down. I said and says, "You know, I got to talk to you about your dad." Well, I said, you, "You're not dying, Mom." No, no, I'm not dying. What's going on? She says, well, I, I've come to tell you, your dad is not your natural father. Your natural father is an Irish folk singer named Liam Clancy of a group called the Clancy Brothers and Tommy Makem. And, you know, and I'm just, one, shell-shocked, but I still am just so relieved that she's not, <laughs> her cancer hasn't yes, returned, yes. right? And, and I, I, then she starts to unpack how she had... You know, she and Liam had been together, and they had. She worked at a really prominent nightclub in Chicago, and they had been together for about a year. And he offered to marry her. She perceived as an offer, and and didn't. And it was there was me. You know, and what was fascinating, Sonny, is one, I'd grown up in this Italian family. So I like to tell people I used to be Italian, right? Because <laughs> for me, it's true. Yeah. I was Italian, yeah. and all of a sudden, I was like, I'm not, you know? Yeah. Uh, Azaro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, I'm, it turns out I'm Irish. I immediately stopped womanizing and got drunk. That's what I tell people, you know? <laughs> but, uh, but, but no, seriously, there was this sense of so many things made sense. I mean, you know, um, I, I love my family. I love my Italian family. I was very much a product of that family. But there were ways that I was very different. And, you know, turns out, um, very much influenced by my mother, uh, but I was also a lot like Liam Clancy. I'd, by the time I find this out, I'd already recorded my first album. You know, I'd found a guitar in my mother's closet when I was little and taught myself to play. So it was just this kind of crazy journey of, you know, discovering, oh, my dad, who I kind of had to really separate from a little bit because he was very displeased about my not continuing to play polo. Mm-hmm. Turns out that's not my real father. <laughs> My real father's this Irish folk singer. Wow. And so the Clancy brothers, did, did you connect with them? I did. I did, really. Uh, that's an interesting story because I, I, so I find this out. I, what else are you going to do? I go to a music store and I go to the international music section and there's all these Clancy brothers CDs. So I buy one. There's a number on the back of the CD. I listen to the CD and it turns out... There's a telephone number. Oh, yeah. Just a contact number, right? <laughs> it's a booking agent, right? Oh. Well, uh... 
So I call this number, and the lady answers like, you know, and again, these are older guys now, so they're no longer kind of in the mainstream of their careers. Sure. They're doing, you know, stuff, later in life stuff. But this lady answers, hello. <laughs> and I'm expecting to call some, you know, artist agency. And uh, I go, uh, hi, I'm looking for Liam Clancy. And she says, okay, and who's this? I said, told her my name. I said, Sean Azar. I said, but he'd remember my mother uh, better. Um, you know, uh, my mother was na- name, and I tell her her name, and she pauses, and she goes, "I remember your mother." And I'm like, "Then you know who I am?" She says, "Yes, I do." And turns out it was Mary Makem. It was Tommy Makem's wife. At that point, she was just running this office where they were doing some stuff out of, mm-hmm. and so I have this wonderful conversation. She was just the most wonderful person, and she says coincidentally they're going to be and I don't believe in coincidence right yeah she says they're going to be in Palm Springs we were living in LA at the time she says they're going to be in Palm Springs and in a month and so I'll, I'll arrange for you get tickets and everything so we literally just go to this concert right and my wife is freaking out the whole time and your dad knew you were coming he knew he knew Mary Makeham had told him but we didn't talk to him beforehand sure so we're sitting in this concert my wife's watching and she goes watching him because I'm a musician I lead worship I've do, done concerts and she's like watching him that's like you with an Irish brogue have you seen the old man in the closed down market kicking up the papers with his worn out shoes in his eyes you see no pride and held loosely by side their yesterday's papers telling yesterday's news have you seen the old girl who walks the streets of london dirt in her hair and her clothes in rags she's no time for talking she just keeps right on walking Carrying her home into carrier bags And then how can you tell me you're lonely Or say that for you the sun won't shine Let me take you by the hand and lead you Through the streets of London I will show you something Make you change your mind You are the shelter My refuge from the storm And you are the place I run When all I know gets torn The whole world is going crazy Killing itself for fear It could make a man start to lose his mind But I won't, cause you are near And you still my soul by the river Fill my cup till it overflows I'll rest my soul down by the river Drink from the waters of your love and I'm made whole. So we go back at stage afterwards. We're invited back 
I knock on the door and I go, he, he answers the door of his dressing room. I go, hi, Liam, I'm Sean. Mary Makeham told you I'd be coming by. Yeah. He goes, yes, yes, come on in, Sean, come on in. And uh, I says, my mother says we're related. <laughs> he says, yes, yes, we are. Yes, we are. And he just grabs my arm starts introducing me to his brothers. And, oh, this is your Uncle Patty here. And, oh, here's your cousin Robbie. Oh. And, and they're like, hi, Sean, how you doing? And I'm just like, I'm like, you guys take this in stride. Has this happened before? And they're all like, well, yes, a couple times, actually, you know. And so it was just this, these guys are these incredible, you know, just incredible people who were just very open-armed. Um, you know, we actually went with our family and visited with him. Got to, He got to meet my kids and yeah. we all played music together. My kids are musicians. And so we got to play music with them. It was really a very, That's very beautiful. cool thing. Yeah. That's beautiful. And isn't it incredible how you now realize where your talent came from? Well, it is interesting. And that's part of my, you know, we call it our testimonial and Christianity, obviously your story, um, that, that, you know, God has his hand on your life. And here I am serving God as a minister, a musician, all the different things he's had me do with gifts and talents I got from a father I never knew existed. And, you know, Liam thought it was hilarious because he was very much at that time an agnostic. He, you know, he was not a believer of any kind. And when he heard what I did and, and, you know, especially that I'm a Protestant Mm. minister, you know, and he goes, I've got a son who's a Protestant minister. He goes, ah, the good Lord's got a sense of humor. <laughs> he thought that was really funny. Yeah. And I did too. You know, I just thought, man, Liam, you can run, but you can't hide when it comes to God. Isn't that something? Now, is he over in, in Ireland? He's passed away, yes. But he was... He was in Ireland. He, oh, yeah, yeah. He, he lived, uh, it's called Ring, and it's a little community kind of above Dungarvan, not far from Waterford on the southern coast, and it's just beautiful, beautiful area. It's actually, that's an Irish-speaking. They still speak Irish Gaelic there. Yeah. And I've been, and I, you know, met my family there, and they're still very much involved in that whole world. Very, very unique place. Now, you know, um, in your book, you have a, a story about... Uh, growing up in the church that you would go to, and and the preacher and the way that he um, he taught. In fact, there was this one passage that he never even got to the whole thing, and he did five days of preaching about it. That was actually that was actually my first uh, assignment in ministry. I was in Southern California. It's all during this similar time frame. Um, and uh, it wasn't it wasn't my pastor. It was a guest minister. So. It was someone who I wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't know real well, but, but, you know, the title of the book is A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, and he's talking about the Spirit, and he's talking about the, particularly the gift of tongues, which is, you know, to, that's kind of a hot topic to a lot of people, because it's been, because of this kind of stuff, where it's been kind of abused, and he taught a passage, it's in 1 Corinthians 14, where the Apostle Paul says, I would that you all speak in tongues, but there's more to the verse. And this guy, for five nights, just preaches this, this message. I would that you all speak in tongues. And he's basically his message is, man, if you don't speak in tongues and you're not living the life God has for you, I mean, almost attaching it to our salvation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <clears throat> that's bothersome enough because I think that distorts what the scripture says about the issue. But the fact is he never finished the verse in five nights because the pe- verse goes on and says, I would that you speak speak in tongues, but rather that you prophesy. And his whole point is that bringing a message in actually in the known language can build people up, you know. And to me, that's why one of the reasons I wrote the book, because that's an example of this super important area of the Christian faith. And that's the indwelling of God's spirit. 
You know, that, that's the whole point. That's what the Christian faith is all about. Our sins are forgiven on the cross so that we can be filled with God's Spirit because He created us for a relationship with Him. But how, when you were a, you know, a young man listening to this, how did it not influence? I mean, where did you get the, the, um, the maturity to say, you know what, I, there's, there's more to this and he's missing the point of what he's trying to say? Well, and I think that's, you know, any believers who are listening to this, this podcast will immediately know, you, you know, you, you study the scripture. <laughs> you know, the, the whole point is that one of the premises of the book, and I think everybody wants to know what God's saying in their life. What's God saying to me? And I think we can. I think the scriptures, the, the Bible teaches us how to do that, how to discern the voice of God in your life. Um, so, but the key is you, you start with the scripture. You want to know what God is saying you got to know what he has said. You got to know what his voice sounds like. And the scripture is the primary way that he speaks to us. So I immediately knew, obviously, it's like he says, turn to the verse. I'm looking at the Bible and he does half a verse and then goes off and does a message. So I'm like, but you're not finishing the verse. Because when you finish it, it's like it has a very different meaning. Right. And, you know, again, if that were just one tale, that would, you know, just be a, a kind of a cautionary tale, right? But the problem is there's been a lot of distorted teaching on this subject. And because of that, really good people who love God, follow Jesus, love the Word of God, shy away from this subject. And that's why I wrote the book, A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, because I want people to know the Bible talks about this all over. And that's what we really do in the book. We just, here's a scripture, and then I share some questions, some thoughts, some observations. And, you know, I'm not trying to cram something down people's throats. I want them to read the scripture and then let the Lord speak to them about what it says. You know, you said something earlier about the fact that there are no coincidences that really God has a hand in everything that happens. We're sitting here, and, and who would have known this? Uh, if you're listening, we have listeners all over the world, but we're sitting here on the outskirts of San Antonio, Texas, um, in the uh, what is a, now a, a soundstage, or I should say a, a recording studio, uh, but down the hall, you'd think there was a church, there is actually an amphitheater. Hmm. And uh, this used hmm. to be the Verizon Amphitheater. It holds how many people? It'll hold 20,000 if you use the outdoor hill and the undercover amphitheater. How did you, I mean, how does your church connect with the, the dots with this amphitheater? Again, Sonny, uh, that's, this is the kind of stuff that, that I try to tell people how God really does work in your life and how he will lead you and how he wants to, to do more than you could ever do. Because I couldn't have pulled this off. We couldn't have pulled this off. This used to be, and ironically, Sonny, the, the true irony, this ground we're on right now, this used to be Rotama Polo Center. And when my family moved down to San Antonio to play polo, mm-hmm. well, that's when I was still playing polo. I told you when I was 19, I left polo to, to pursue ministry. This is where I was playing. Isn't that something? And now our ministry was able to, to Little purchase did this. you know. No, had no idea. That mm. your polo plane, where we're sitting right now, You've, I mean, if you could look at a crystal ball, and I mean, like you say, there's no coincidence. Right. Um, so the, what was it that, that the the amphitheater? Why did it go away? Did it go out of business? Uh, Live Nation. It was interesting. Live Nation owned it. Um, from what we know, okay, um, we we got a chance to talk to some of the guys who were working here at the time of the sale. Um, Live Nation in the 2008-2009 financial crunch made a kind of across-the-board decision to sell what what they considered some of their second-tier, second-tier markets. Um, they have Dallas. They have a big 
you know, they call these big box, big shed amphitheaters. Um, they have one in Dallas. They have one in Houston. They decided to sell this one, even though the guys who are here said it's a profitable venue. But they made the decision to sell it. Well, they also had a non-compete clause inherent in the sale. You, you know, you were going to. It was going to be a deed restriction that you could not have ticketed concerts or events and things like that. So, who wants to buy this piece of property with this massive amphitheater that you can't use? Well, we were looking at the time. We'd been praying. Um, we our church had grown. We were at, over off of Redland Road. And we were really looking for maybe 40 acres somewhere, something like that. We didn't need it. This is 110 acres. Um, but a guy who was on our school board, we have a school in uh, River City Believers Academy, and a guy on our school board uh, uh, named Joe Carroll was a commercial real estate agent. And he said, well, you know, you, you want to look at the Verizon Amphitheater? <laughs> and I looked, Sonny, that's what I did. I laughed. I'm like, why? The, the Alamo Dome's not available? Really? Yeah, right. Exactly. I thought he's kidding me. He's yeah. like, no, they're selling it. And they're having to sell it really at a very affordable price because of this deed restriction. So I get our elders in Sunny. It was almost on a goof. You know how you just go, guys want to dream? Let's go look at the Verizon yeah. Amphitheater, right? And we get here and we're looking around. We're laughing in the green rooms. You know, Tom Petty was here, James Taylor, Nora Jones, all, the, all these different bands and artists. Um, and all that's going on. And finally, when we're done with our tour, we go up on the hill. And our elders, it's the elders of our church, we gather up and we pray. Well, Lord, you know. And, and the minute we start praying, Sonny, it got not funny real fast. Because everybody got quiet. And it's almost as though we felt like the Lord just started to say, I'm going to do this. Mm. And it's like, and you know, before it's fun when, when it's just a, oh, I'm just coming to see it. Sure. it. You're just dreaming, right? Sure. All of a sudden, it, we begin to think, God says, no, I'm going to do this. And I want you to make an offer. And I wasn't stupid enough to sit and, and, and to miss the, the weight of that decision. Right, um, I knew this is bigger than us. This is bigger than me. And God, if you're going to do this, you got to do it. Well, He did. We put an offer down. Uh, it was actually six point five million dollars for a hundred of the acres. They were going to keep the ten frontage and do part of the ten frontage and do a uh, commercial development there, and we were going to have a hundred acres. So six point five million. Well, this was in spring of two thousand nine. Right, I mean, like January, mm-hmm. we do really well on a fundraising project. We get a bunch of pledges. We get cash up front. Our congregation was just very sacrificial, and that did we did wonderfully there. We go and I've got multiple banks and institutions in the in like January and February of two thousand nine saying, "Yeah, we can do this. We can do this deal." Well, unbeknownst to us, the whole financial market's changing, and it was interesting because we saw a definite lag time between where the lending committees, the ones who worked with FDIC and all the governmental agencies, yes. and where their frontline account executives were. And so we had multiple kind of account guys and, and lenders saying, oh, yeah, we can do this, only to come back and say, ooh, our, our committee says no. You know, we couldn't get it approved. And one by one, Sonny, almost 30 different banks, institutions I went to, and by March and April, everybody was saying no. Mm. There's no way this climate has changed. Nobody's going to lend. And so we had $150,000 down. We had another couple hundred thousand in you know due diligence, architects, engineers, and mm-hmm. all the stuff you do when you're doing a property sure. like this. And come November, I mean, all summer, we couldn't get a lender, couldn't get a lender, couldn't get a lender. The deal expired, and we lost that. Basically, $360,000 um, 
because we just couldn't get a lender. We couldn't close. We had a buyer for our old property. Yeah. Very good deal on our old property. Uh, we Fortunately, that was a contingency on our getting this. So sure. They lost their property, too. It was Resurrection Baptist, a great church uh, in church, was looking at a second location. So they had to be disappointed. And it was just like one of those things like, God, I could have swore you said. And met with our elders. And what was interesting is every one of those elders still had this sense, I think God's still going to do this. Mm. So that's the end of 2009. 2010, we just go back to doing church, right? You know, and it was kind of a relief, actually. I aged more in 2009 <laughs> than the previous five years, right? I believe it. Well, 2010, the end of 2010, they come back to us because there was a commercial realtor that was carrying this and was partnering with Live Nation on this, and they couldn't sell it. And they were going to lose some serious money just because of the way the deal was structured if they didn't sell it. So they came to us at the end of 2010 and said, do you still want it? I said, sure. We called Resurrection Baptist. Do you still want our property? They said, sure. Hmm. Um, they sold us the whole 110 acres for $5 million. Wow. So that represents a $2.5 million swing, if you consider the 10 frontage acres that sure, were, sure. were now ours. And so it was just one of those things was a kind of a good deal before it became a God deal that you're like, man, you know, God. That's brilliant. It was, it was crazy, son. A good deal became a God deal. Yeah. That is, what an incredible story that is. Yeah, and we closed in 2011 and moved in 2012. <laughs> I'd like it to, to close out by giving us a prayer uh, of hope, something that will uh, remind us of why we're really here and give us a, a, a beautiful rainbow in the future. Hmm. Well, I will do that, Sonny. And thank you. And you know, you're, you and I talked before, and your whole your whole kind of life message is one of enthusiasm and just kind of kind of living that, making the most, and kind of adding value everywhere you go. And I just think that's something that is a that's a that's a great quality, Sonny. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate you sharing this time with me. And I'd love to just wrap us with a prayer. So, please, Lord, thank you so much for your grace and your presence. Where wherever someone is listening to this right now, Lord, you're there. Okay, you, that's what omnipresence means. And you are a God who isn't restricted to one location. Your spirit is m- working and moving all over the world. And I, I thank you that you're with us here in this studio right now. You're in the car with that person listening or in the house or wherever, wherever that's happening. And I pray that we would just recognize we're not alone. We're not alone. There's always hope because of you. You sent Jesus Christ to give his life so that our sins could be forgiven. We don't have to walk in the guilt and the condemnation that life can sometimes bring, Lord Jesus. But, but you set us free from the effects of sin, from the weight of sin, so that we could have life. Have it more abundantly is the way you phrased it. And I thank you for that. So I just pray that you'll guide us. I pray that we would look to you and trust you with not just the big picture stuff, but every day. And realizing that every little relationship, every little conversation matters because you're in the center of it. Thank you for Sonny. I pray your blessing on him. Pray your blessing on all the things he does around the city and just with different ones and around the country, really. I just pray your blessing on him. And thank you for this opportunity to be together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sean Azaro, thank you so much. Uh, I I treasure our our friendship. I'm so glad that uh, you're in the right place the right time and that God uh, turned a, a good thing into a God thing. Yeah. God bless you. Thanks (laughs) Thanks. so much. Thanks, honey. Well, that's my visit with Sean Azaro. I told you he'd be fantastic. You'll find links to Sean's website as well as how to get his book, A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life. I know you'll be inspired at sunnyradio.com slash show. That's sunnyradio.com slash show. 
Until next time, I'm Sonny Melendrez. And never forget that we are all here to help each other. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.